0: Well, you may be wondering uh, who I am and what I'm doing here, and um, I have to tell you, I'm a little concerned about that as well. (laughs) It is a humbling experience um, to be asked to put a a period behind this series out of Galatians. Uh, I'm a little out of practice And um, as I was putting on the microphone this morning, I was feeling a bit like David putting on Saul's armor. Uh, If uh, Brian and Josh, what they've been doing is kind of like uh, making these beautiful statues for St. Peter's. Uh, I'm the guy who stands beside the road with a chainsaw making bears. (laughs) So uh, you'll buy gum. You'll know it's a bear when I'm done. But it it won't go in St. Peter's. Okay. All right. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, uh, more than anything else this morning, I want you uh, to shine through in this little message. Guide us. uh, Help us in this endeavor that we might worship you with our minds. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm, I, a couple of things as I get started. As you know, many of you know, I'm a college professor, and so my, uh, my little stint uh, is usually about two hours before my students. So, and, I'm, and if you feel the need to get up and leave, I'm used to that. So uh, that's fine. Uh, but I, I'm going to try to get this out and land this plane kind of in short order but with a lot of uh, meat on the bone for you. Let's, uh, let's read this passage together. I'm going to read what you find in your order of worship. And if you wouldn't mind, while, we're, while I'm uh, bringing the message this morning, if you'd keep that in front of you, I want to make some notes about what you might find in this passage. Let's read this together. From Galatians 6, verses 11 to 18. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to it. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule. To the Israel of God, from now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear in my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, Uh, Be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. The word of the Lord. When we first look at this, and I'm sorry, out of old habit, uh, the Bible I am using this morning is a new American standard, so I'm going to have to refer back and forth to what you're looking at, but I think we can can work our way through this. When we read this uh, right to begin with in verse 11, In verse 11, when Paul says, see what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand, that's not particularly unusual for Paul. I know uh, some commentators make uh, 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 an emphasis on that Paul may have had eye damage due to his uh, beatings and his stonings. That may be the case, but we know that he used a secretary. We know that he wrote commonly uh, by, uh, by dictating, and someone else wrote down what he was, uh, what he was speaking. Uh, the unusual part about this ending is it is very long for Paul's hand. He, he goes into it here. And he is not just leaving a nice greeting, uh, may the grace and peace of God be yours, but rather is recapping everything that's gone before. Typically, when someone was an amenous, uh, a, a secretary, who is writing, they would typically use a what would be almost like cursing for us. But Paul would be, perhaps, in this case, writing in capital Greek letters, which was how a learned scholar might, might write. And so he's bringing to their attention, these are my words I'm writing here. I'm, I want to underline this. I want to underscore this. This is bold. This matters. This has meaning. Pay attention to this. Now, I love this ending because although he, he speaks to them about grace and peace, and uh, God's mercy on them. When we come down to verse 17, I love, I love what he says there. He says, uh, from now on, let no one cause me trouble. <laughs> he's saying, this is the end of this subject. I don't want to hear about this anymore, period. Underline this. Leave me alone. You've got it, right? So he's really uh, a little um, irritated uh, by what's happening. Now let's look. We're going to see that Paul contrasts the circumcision party with the cross of Christ. And he's going to, he's going to contrast the, uh, the keeping of the law and circumcision as a kind of a visual aspect of the keeping of the law with the true marks of the cross, his stigma, his stigmata, the, the marks of the cross. He's going to say that there are outward marks of this. There are, there are ways in which we suffer for what we believe. And I want to challenge you on a couple of things uh, as we look at this. First, we want to unpack it. We want to unpack it in terms of how people understood it in Paul's day, and then we want to go back and say, what is Paul saying to us? It is so easy for us to look at this and say, this is not a contemporary issue. I mean, we're not dealing with a party of uh, people who are moving in on us here and saying, you must be circumcised. We're, we're, this, is, this seems like an old matter, it's, it, it really doesn't seem to, to deal with us very much, but actually Paul has got something very, very important to say to us today. Let's look first at the circumcision party, let's look at these uh, first few verses, uh, let's look at verses uh, 12 and uh, 13. There we discover four things Paul tells us about the circumcision party. Uh, they desire to make a good showing in the flesh. The literal word for good showing here is to put a good face on it. They want to have a, a good appearance. That's the first thing. Second thing he tells us, yeah, the, the other part of this same verse, he says they compel you to be circumcised simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. In the new uh, international version that you're looking at, it says to avoid Persecution. So, first, they want to put a good face on something. Paul tells us in Colossians, he says, these very same people were were bothering the, the church in Colossae. And what he says, this has the appearance of religion, this has the appearance of spirituality, but it's not. They want to put a good face on something. Second, they do it to avoid the hard stuff that's related to the gospel. We're going to come back to that when we see Paul's position. Third, let's look at the first part of verse 13. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves. What he's telling us there, if you remember, is going all the way back to Peter in Acts 15. Peter, remember, he's giving a defense for the Gentiles coming into the church and he's saying to the believers in, in Jerusalem and the church leaders in Jerusalem, he's saying, we can't even keep the law. Why would we burden them with this heavy yoke? Remember, those are the very words that Peter uses. And Paul says, yes, they're circumcised, but they can't keep the law. They don't keep the law. It's not possible for them to do that. We know that they can't. Fourth, he says that they uh, that they do this, they ha- a desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. <laughs> How many circumcisions a year? You know, we could think about this as baptisms or, or people joining the church or membership roles or a number of people who've come and worshiped here or we could put any other kind of thing on it that we want. Now, I want you to understand here when we're looking at this, these four, uh, four very, very important things uh, that Paul brings out. He's saying that this is just uh, so much boasting about what doesn't really matter. And again, the important part right in the middle of that, that second reason simply that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Just the chapter before, uh, chapter 5, verse uh, 11, Paul says, brethren... If I still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been abolished. What he's saying is, a cross is a stumbling block. We're going to look at this a little uh, a little further, but let's uh, let's just move on to the next one. Uh, what uh, Paul, in contrast, remember. Now, uh, to capture this a little bit, the thrust of Galatians is that these ones who've come to Galatia have said, faith in Christ is insufficient. It is not enough. It must be this and this. Paul's going to flip it over the other way and say that circumcision or the law is insufficient. It is the cross of Christ alone. Now, that's the major contrast here. Now, I want to stop for a moment and ask you what precious theologies you hold on to that are really not important, that are not at the center of our relationship to Jesus Christ. You may wonder about this whole thing of circumcision. You know, it it baffles me to some degree uh, because... I would think that they'd be talking about the temple sacrifices. But they're talking about this thing, circumcision. So let me give you a little history lesson as quickly as I can. I've got a bunch of dates written down, but I I know our time is short. So forgive me, the professor in me wants to tell you everything and just break out the encyclopedias, but uh, I'm going to save you. So it all starts, this all starts with Alexander the Great. What a remarkable guy. About 324 B.C. He becomes king. He's about 16 or so actually when he, when he takes over from his father Philip. And his father Philip had what was known as the Panhellenic Project. He was going to conquer the known world and turn them all into Greeks. So Alexander sets off to do this. Now, a little bit of background here. Uh, the word, our word gymnasium, comes from a word that means to be naked. So men in the gymnasium were naked in the gymnasium. And you were not considered uh, unclothed unless you had been circumcised. Greeks abhorred circumcision. They thought it was mutilation of the body. All right. So now, Alexander goes marching through the, the known world and as he goes, he conquers a people and then he takes a general and some of his, uh, of his soldiers and he sets them up as uh, leaders of this place, has them establish a city. The soldiers and the, the general have to intermarry with the population because that's their way of Hellenizing them, turning them into Greeks. Long story. Alexander sets a king up in Syria, and this is known as the Seleucid Empire. Mm, He gets bumping around. He goes down to Egypt. He sets up another kingdom. They're the Ptolemies, okay, Ptolemaic Seleucids, and they just play ping-pong with Israel back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. They're constantly uh, conquering and overrunning them until finally it settles down. The Seleucids have, have control, and this king comes along. His name is Antiochus. And he refers to himself as Antiochus Epiphanes. Epiphany, the coming. I am the man, God. I am God incarnate. 164 B.C. Paul is writing barely 80 years later. And he's the first Seleucid king who stamps his image on a coin? Before, before that, the kings had deferred to the sensibilities of the people in that region about graven images, but he stamps his image on a coin and he calls himself on the coin Antiochus Epiphanes. So he starts making sure that all the people who were in position of power change their Hebrew names to Greek names and he doesn't like the high priest. And so he deposes him and inserts another guy named Jason, who by the way, his Hebrew name, this is not conspiracy theory in any way, his Hebrew name was Jesus. He is now Jason, the high priest. Aristarchus goes down to Egypt, gets into a major battle with the Ptolemies down there, gives them a major thumping. A rumor comes back that he's dead, The former high priest says, that's it. This is our opportunity. He rushes into the temple in Jerusalem. He sends Jason packing. That man scurries for his life. Aristarchus gets word of it, comes marching back to Jerusalem, kills kills 40,000 and sends 40,000 into slavery. Four parties begin to develop out of this. One of them... They are all resistance groups. One, is the, one of them is called the oppressed. One is called the poor. One is called the pious. And the pious party, who do they become? The Pharisees. And while this is going on, Aristarchus says, that's it, an end of circumcision, and he began killing any woman who when she gave birth had her child circumcised. What happens? On the heels of this, the Hasmoneans jump up. The hammer people, the Maccabeans. And they start a war and eventually invite Rome in and reestablish circumcision. What we see here is that circumcision matters because they fought for this. They fought for this not 80 years prior as a people. It was not just a religious institution, it was an expression of their identity and their resistance to all that seemed evil to them in the world. And along comes a man who is a Jewish, uh, um, Paul probably wouldn't be, have been considered a rabbi, but he was at least a Jewish scholar who changes his name from Saul to Paul and says, Circumcision is neither here nor there. It is totally unimportant. And the new Jewish Christians who still had a memory of this say, this cannot be. We fought for this. We shed blood for this. We stood up against the powers of evil for this, and you're telling us it doesn't matter no, this is a symbol of who we are. This is a symbol of righteousness. And Paul says, You've got it all confused. You've got it all linked up where you think that somehow circumcision is keeping the law. And he says, It's not. You can't keep the law. Circumcision is just something of the flesh, it is neither important or unimportant. You don't pat yourself on the back because you're circumcised, you don't pat yourself on the back because you resisted circumcision. It's just a non starter. What matters is the cross. Now we can pick this back up. Let's look at this again. Paul says, may it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world was crucified to me and I to the world. I'm just going to go back a few pages here. Let me look. What does he say, that very verse that you probably are very, very, very familiar with out of Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Now, that's a key turning point in, this, in all of what Paul has been saying in Galatians, and he, and he comes right back to it in this verse, the 14th verse. Now, for us, um, I wear a couple of little medallions, uh, two different kinds of crosses. I have done so for more than 40 years, um, and they remind me every morning as I'm taking my shower that I am a servant of the Most High God. We display crosses proudly in our congregations, in our churches. We wear them as jewelry. We see them around. But in the first century, it was, uh, a cross was abhorrent. It was a sign of embarrassment and disgust, so much so that the Latin word for cross, crux, was never spoken in public. And it wasn't until Constantine, along about 300, what was he, 40, you can look it up, A.D., who made the cross popular. Up to that point, Christians would not, would not, they were very, very cautious about mentioning the cross. It was abhorrent. You didn't speak it in public. And here's Paul saying, I'm boasting in this awful thing. Let me find something here. I actually have a a quote Nah, this will do. F.F. F. Bruce, in his commentary, speaks about the unbelievable shame of the cross, and yet Paul is boasting in it. He speaks about the unspeakable horror and loathing uh, at the, which the cross was held in, in Paul's day. And then this, I'm going to quote directly from him. The word crooks was unmentionable in polite Roman society even when one was being condemned to death by crucifixion. Now, this is very interesting. This is in a law court when it's being mentioned. The sentence used was an archaic formula which served as a sort of euphemism. Arbori infelici, suspendo. Hang him on the unlucky tree. Even the judges in Rome would not speak the word cross. And here's Paul saying, not only will we speak the word, it is central to our belief. What is it about the cross that so angers us today? Why was, uh, why was it such a stumbling block for the Jews and seen as foolishness to the Greeks and And why is it so important that we see ourselves as united with Christ in his death on the cross? The cross points to each one of us as a sign of our own failures. We can't save ourselves, we are absolutely, utterly, completely lost. And it's okay. The cross means for us that we too must die. It doesn't just mean that Jesus died. Yes, he died for my sins. Colossians tells us that he nailed the law. All of my, all the things, all the, all of my uh, sentence was nailed to that cross with him, and that's been removed. Yeah, that's true. But Paul tells us here and in the second chapter that we too must die. When we read uh, Romans 6, uh, Colossians 2, we see he repeats it again and again. I know a man in, the, in a period of very deep despair lay down to take a long nap and had a dream. And in this dream, he found himself standing uh, on Golgotha. And Jesus was laying on a cross and beckoning to him. And there was a Roman soldier beside him, kneeling down and beckoning to him. The man in his dream asked, What do you want? And Jesus said, They're waiting. And the man in his dream said, For what? And Jesus said, In your pocket. They're in your pocket. And the man in his dream reached in his pocket and pulled out the nails. That's this. We are the crucifiers and the crucified. This is so important. And Paul says you cannot miss this. May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, get how the next verse ends. It is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Do you remember what he wrote to the Corinthians in the fifth chapter, they're long about verse 17? We are now a new creation when we're united with him. In the same way in which we are crucified with him, we are raised with him, a new kind of people. That's that's what we boast in. Christ took us through that door in his crucifixion to be a new creation. Verse 16 Paul says, and those who will walk by this rule, that word walk means to be kind of step by step, row by row, by this rule, that's a, that's a word for um, tape measure. Peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. There's where it should end. That's where we think that this ends. Certainly a powerful place. But then Paul says this, this is the last word. This is the last word on this. And he has what sounds like a very angry statement. And that is, don't bother me with this anymore. But look at what happens in the next verse. And I find some simple word here, very, very powerful. He's saying to them, you knuckleheads, get it right verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Your version says brothers and sisters. In other words, he's he's gone back. There's no division. We've got to settle this. We've got to settle this. There is no division. It's the cross of Jesus. I was taken by a uh, prayer by Richard of Chestershire Chichester, became a popular song sung by the Fifth Dimension. Showed up in the in the in the uh, rock opera Godspell. They took some stuff out, but I want to read the original prayer. Thanks be to thee, my Lord Jesus Christ, for all the benefits thou hast given me, for all the pains and insults thou hast borne for me. O most merciful Redeemer, friend and brother, may I know thee more clearly, love thee more dearly, and follow thee more nearly day by day. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we, uh, we are deeply moved by what you have done through your son Jesus Christ. Forgive us, we pray, when we choose some foolish notion that we have fought for for so long, some theology that we think is important over your cross. Forgive us when we throw up barriers that prevent others from coming to you. Help us, Father, to live by your grace. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.